When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. We're back for another episode of Defense with Coach DJ Elliott. And today we're going to focus on the Wisconsin Badgers defense. Coach, first, uh, great to have you back here for another week of Talking Ball. And I know this is one you're excited about. I'm glad to be back. And it is. You know, Wisconsin has passed Georgia as the number one defense in the country statistically. And this is a defense that's right up my alley. It's a defense that I've run for years and one that I think a lot of. And Wisconsin executes it to a T. Their coaching staff does an excellent job of getting their players in position to make plays and coaching them sound and technique and assignment. I think Jim Leonard is a great defensive coordinator. And, you know, it's a defense that Dave Aranda started, but every defensive coordinator that's taken over since Dave Aranda has continued to run. And Wisconsin, I think, is the uh, pinnacle of this 3-4 simulated pressure defense. For our listeners, we did have a podcast with Coach Leonard in our home team series, and I'll link that one in our show notes. So, Coach, we typically follow a format here talking about base, nickel, third downs, and so let's get into the Wisconsin Badger defense here with base. So, Wisconsin is a 3-4, so their base defense versus 12, 21, and 22 is four outside linebackers, three D linemen, four DBs. And their main front that they run out of that is a tight front, which is two four eyes and a zero. Against Iowa, the main call they were running was tight three. And what that means is one of the inside linebackers is the fourth rusher. The two outside linebackers and the other inside backer are drops. They were running that against 12, 21, and 22 sets, and they were getting some wing sets. Which that, what I mean by wing sets is two tight ends right next to each other, but one of them at the heel line of the other tight end. Mm-hmm. And in those wing sets, they were playing the drop outside of the wing. Now, this is a great defense for any type of power pass or quick game because your two outside linebackers have leverage on everything to the flat. And it allows them to collect anything to the flat from a fullback or a wing, which if that were an inside linebacker, he may have problems on getting picked or getting over the top on that. And so this is a great play action, power pass, boot defense. The fourth rusher in that is the inside linebacker. Now that inside linebacker's rules as a fourth rusher depend on what type of 
action he gets from the quarterback. If he gets a boot or a sprint out action, then he'll be the contain rusher. But if he gets any drop back or play action, then he'll be an inside rusher. And what he'll do is he'll read the guard to determine if he's going to rush B to B or A to A. If he gets a man protection, then he becomes an A to A rusher. But that means he's going to rush the A gap to his side. And if the nose guard ends up in it, then he goes the A gap to the other side. If he gets a slide protection, then he's going to become a B to B rusher. And what that means is if he gets slide away from him, then he's going to rush the B gap to his side. If he gets slide to him, then he's going to rush the B gap to the other side. And so it's an excellent way to, to keep your edges on play action and boot. And it's also a good way to get inside pressure from the inside linebacker. A compliment to that, which I did not see Wisconsin running, but I run a lot, is to line up in the same look, which is a single high uh, with the outside backers on the edges, and then to run a double edge pressure and play man free with it. Now, what's great about that is now that rush is coming right in that quarterback's face from the edges, and it's a five-man. And it's good for Boot to pull it up. It's also good because it makes the offensive line honest. You know, if you line up in a tight front, you know, with three D linemen and two edge rushers, you better honor those two edge rushers. So it can get an offense to constantly have to play a, some sort of man or a fan dual protection because those the threat of those two edge rushers may be coming. It also can change up how you're going to play those wing sets. You know, when you're a drop, you, know, you want to play those wing sets outside because you're the dropper and you got to take the tight end to the flat. But when you're a rush, obviously you don't have that guy to the flat. So now you can move inside and play what I call a wing bust, which is he attacks the tight end, not the wing, and he's busting the D-gap up. And it's a great adjustment if you're going to run a single high tight three to 12 and 21. Also a good idea is to bring those two edge rushers into play man free with that also. Mm -hmm. Now, in base, like we've seen a lot this week, Iowa tried to attack Wisconsin by getting into some spread looks out of 12 personnel with their big people on the field. And one formation that they got into was empty. They lined up in an empty set, and Wisconsin checked an eight-man drop, which is a great check because if you're in a match three defense and you get empty, then there's some holes. And the holes are that the three up players, so anytime you're in match three, when number three runs an over route, somebody is assigned to take that guy. So whether you're in zone or in match concept, number three on an over is never going to be uncovered in a match three defense. And so in empty, the issue is now there's five guys in vertical alignments, and that three-up player is also the weak hook defender. So if you're in match three versus empty, there's two zones slash matchups that you're asking him to cover. So what Wisconsin did is they checked an eight-man drop. And by doing that, they relieved that player from that conflict, and they allowed somebody to be the weak hook defender and somebody to be the three-over player versus empty. An eight-man drop versus empty is good anyway because offenses aren't going to get an eight-man, aren't going to get an empty to throw drop-back pass. You know, you've eliminated one pass protector from the front by lining up an empty. Uh -huh. You're usually going to see some sort of quick game or Q run 
when offenses line up in empty. So eight-man drop is a good check or adjustment anyway. I got a question for you. We'll go to the next one here, especially going back to the wing set. I love the wing set. I've run it in a number of different types of systems that I've coached in. It adds those gaps, right, especially when you're using those two tight ends, that blocking surface. You mentioned some things that I love to do out of it. The power pass, I think, is a very tough one to defend. First of all, you have those two guys there, and and certainly they're presenting a run demeanor because of who they are. And then you have that action right at those guys, and typically you're able to get one or both of those guys in a position where they've out-leveraged the defense on the pass, and you got some big bodies there. So it's great for goal line, great for short yardage situations. The quick game with that, I like too, and typically what I see teams do is a lot – of what we did, we got it from other people, is running that stick concept where you have uh, the tight end getting up to six yards and turning to the outside and, and basically getting in a rebound position. He's going to block out with his body against that linebacker inside of him, and that other guy is just stretching to the flat. So basically running that inside-outside on, on the guy who's going to play the flat. So stresses to the defense there uh, certainly present themselves. And I know you mentioned some adjustments there. But especially with something like the power pass, how do you get your guys to play that the right way? Because obviously you are getting hard run action. You're usually getting somebody pulling around. You've got all kinds of run keys. These guys are going to hit you right away and then slip out there into a pass route. So best ways to train that up, especially if you're not seeing this all year long. Because I know a lot of teams see you know, 10 personnel, 11 personnel. To get 12 is especially at the high school level, teams are getting back into it, but it's not as popular as it used to be. Most common power pass scenarios that I've seen are, are down on the goal line, and they're out of 22 usually. And, yep. and power pass is good when, when you have a fullback and you have a tight end on the same side, like mm-hmm. you said, and, and then you, you're getting one in the flat, and a lot of times you're getting the tight end on a corner route. Yep. And now you have a layered attack, and the tight end could pick, you know, the linebacker that's trying to get to the flat. So down on the goal line, you know, almost everybody's going to be in some sort of man mm-hmm. because, you know, we're trying to stop the run and we want guys close to the line of scrimmage. And in the power pass, I think, is an effective play. And, and another reason why it's effective play is because of the power, right? Power pass works because of the power. Mm-hmm. And so you want to make sure that your defensive players' whose eyes are in the right spot so that they can recognize if it's power pass or power. One thing that I coached was because of power pass slash power, you know, usually when two guys get close in a man coverage, then you'll, you'll IO it, which means you'll in and out it. Mm-hmm. But when it came to power pass, I never did that. And when they got in a near set with the fullback to the tight end side, I always kept whoever was covering the tight end on the tight end. And I always kept who was ever covering the fullback on the fullback. And the reason is, is because if you're trying to IO that, then their eyes aren't in the right place for the run fit because they're trying to figure out, is it run or pass and who's going in and who's going out. And if you just put the uh, guy covering the tight end eyes on the tight end and he stays with him no matter what, then, then he'll be in better shape to cover him you know, for the power pass, for the wide hide, and he'll also be in better shape to fit the run because he's looking right at that guy. Mm-hmm. And then the same thing with the guy on the fullback. He knows as soon as he gets a, a king set 
that he's got to get in position to where he can't get picked by that tight end because no matter what, he's taking that fullback into the flat. So he'll get in a little bit wider position, but he'll never take his eyes off that fullback. And so when you get down in the goal line and you're seeing a lot of power pass slash power, I like if you're playing man, don't I owe that. Don't in and out that. Okay, Just get in position where you don't get picked and keep your eyes on the guy that is your run key slash pass key so that you don't get confused with those two things. Then, and like I've said before, there's, you know, there's, Keith, there's always a, a technique fix and then there's a scheme fix for every problem. So that, what I'm telling you right there is a technique fix. So if you're in man coverage, that's a technique fix to fix that. And then a scheme fix for the power pass is like Wisconsin was playing, which is, is play some outside linebacker drop so that that guy is on the line of scrimmage where he can't get picked with the fullback in the flat and that he can keep his leverage for the fullback on the flat and he would be a box player anyway for the run. Coach, moving on, I know you saw some corner blitz out of the base as well. What did you see from the Badgers with corner blitz? You know, traditionally, three, four teams like myself, when, when we face 12 and 21 teams, along with running the tight front, we like to run a lot of under front. And Wisconsin was showing an under front, but they were running corner blitz. And so two things. One, the offense thought that those guys were going to be non-movement defense alignment because they lined up in shaded fronts. And in a 3-4, that doesn't happen a lot, right? But two, they put them in better position to execute their assignment as defense alignment from their stunt and the corner, you know, you can show cloud over there. So now you should, like I've talked about before, you can show that you're in kind of a, a clouded corner and then you can come off the edge over there. And the two outside rush uh, blitzers is the outside guy. I call a razor, the inside guy I call a track. And anytime an, an offense recognizes that they try to run like a, a stretch away, you know, something outside zone away but the way that that track is coached, he should be able to make the tackle. And we've always been able to make the tackle if, if our um, track executed his technique because he's attacking the via the neck of the tackle. And if the tackle blocks down, then he's bending and chasing because the, the outside blitzer becomes the boot player. Iowa checked outside zone away, and Wisconsin tracked an excellent job, and he made a TFL. Now, off of that look, anytime you run a corner blitz, depending on the split of, of the wide out to the corner blitz side, you can always make a, a switch call with the corner and the safety. So if the, if the wide out gets in a really wide split, then obviously you don't want your corner coming from so much width because he'll never get there. And so you can just make it with a switch call, which just tells the safety now to run the blitz and the corner is going to cover the wide out. Now, I like running that, too, because of matchups. I mean, you know, you have a good disguise when you run corner blitz, but now you have a lesser coverage guy on the wideout and usually a worse blitzer blitzing. So when your corner blitzes, he's usually not as physical as your safety, and now you have your safety covering the wideout, and he's not as good a cover guy as your corner. Right. So that change check – 
for me, would not only happen based off of the split, but it would also happen on, on matchups. You know, if, if there was a really good X receiver out there, I'm not so sure that I wanted to take my corner off of him and put my safety on him. And so they did it. They checked it a few times, and the safety came off the edge and, and had some great um, success. You have to have a call, though, if you're going to do that, where the safety's lined up down there where he's not, not coming. You want to make sure that every pressure that you run on defense, that you don't give it away based off of alignment. So you always want to study your defense and look at your, at your defense from a pre-snap standpoint and every defense and say, okay, where does this pressure marry, right? And like I've mentioned before, you know, the cloud is a good marry with corner blitz. Okay, well, what marries with safety blitz, right? And you have to make sure that you have a, a defense that, met, that marries with every pressure. And Wisconsin does that, and they did a good job on that. What to you is the delineation when, when is it too wide that you need to make that change call? Usually corner blitz is called off the hash. So if I'm calling it off the hash, anytime that that wide out is at the bottom of the numbers or wider, then to me, I like to switch it with the corner and with the, um, and with the safety. Because now he's getting, you know, so far out there that the corner coming is not going to be a factor. With communication, and I don't think we've, we've talked about this, but I thought it was an important point to bring up. It's something we would pay attention to. There's a lot of communication going on on both sides of the ball. Uh, what's the, the procedure that you install with your players to make sure when one guy calls something that there's confirmation that he heard it, right, that they're on the same page? I know for us, there always had to be either an echo of it or some kind of a response back. How, how do you guys handle that? So everywhere our coach, it's been something different, but there's a signal that the guy that's receiving the call he does whether he taps the back of his helmet or whether he taps his uh, his thigh or you know whatever the hand signal is for the for the adjustment he turns around to the to the safety and gives it back but you know a lot of times I prefer it to be something where he doesn't have to turn his head mm-hmm. and so you know whether he's he gets the check he taps the back of his helmet now that safety knows okay he got it or if he taps like the back of his leg, he knows that he's got it. You know, <laughs> quarter blitz can be the worst with that. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because <laughs> I, I can't tell you uh, how many times I've seen on film, and it's usually for a big game where uh, either both the corner and the safety came, or uh, neither one of them came. You know, and and uh, it's it, it hasn't ever happened to me necessarily. I tell you where it's happened to me in the game. It's happened to me in the game where neither one of them came. Mm-hmm. But it's, fortunately for me, it's never happened to me in a game where they both came. <laughs> yeah. But I have seen it on video where they both came and nobody was covering the wideout. And that can be uh, devastating. So it's important to get that communicated. Yeah, what, what's, the, what's the rule if, if that guy who's calling it doesn't get the confirmation or he doesn't get the signal back that, that uh, then you don't play it. Okay. Yeah, then you don't play it. If you don't. If he doesn't get the confirmation back, then you don't play the check. You just play, play the, the initial call. And those are organizational things in practice that as coaches you have to be sticklers about. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to make sure that, that you can't let that slide in practice or it's going to happen in the game. Absolutely. You know, you know and, and, and the funny thing about 
about football is all of us as coaches, we, we watch, um, watch our games and how many times were we just flat out beat? Like this guy's just better than me. Or how many times did we beat ourselves? And as a coach, you're trying to limit the amount of times that you beat yourself. You, you want that to be as small as number as possible. And, you know, I, I call that controlling the controllables. You know, alignment, assignment, effort, you can control that every down. The crazy thing is, is I bet you 50% of the time a player um, is beat because of those three things, not because the guy's just flat out better. And I think that that is our one of our, not maybe our biggest, but one of our biggest challenges as a coach is to control the controllables. I mean, imagine as coaches, if, if we could go through a game where every controllable was controlled. And when I talk about that as alignment, assignment, and effort, I mean, we're going to be in pretty big, good position to win the game. And I think that, uh, one, you know, speaking of Wisconsin, that's what they do an excellent job of. You know, as, as a coordinator or assistant coach, you can draw up as many schemes as you want. You could be the smartest grease board scheme guy out there. I mean, I think I like to think that I understand just about every defensive scheme there is out there. It doesn't mean I can run it on defense. You know, just because I can draw it up on a, on a grease board doesn't mean I can run it on defense because the devil, the devil is in the details, right? And the devil is, is how well can I get my players to execute eight defense? And that's, I think, where really the next level coaching comes in. You know, and if you're a young coach right now trying to learn X's and O's, just know this before you go on to your next scheme, make sure you have the scheme that you're running in and out. Make sure you know all the moving parts of the scheme that you're running because that is going to make you more effective on defense than trying to run a new scheme every week is to run one scheme very effectively. Coach, moving on, let's look at the nickel defense of the Badgers. Of course, you know, with them being a 3-4, a ton of simulated pressures, and they run them really, really well. And one of them that I saw them running quite often was a safety pressure from the boundary. And with that, any time they got a speed two, they would, they would make what I call a change check, which means with the speed two, instead of the safety running the pressure, the uh, inside linebacker runs the pressure. And it was a match three creeper, two off the edge from the boundary. With that pressure, this was the most common pressure that they ran against Iowa. They were getting a lot of three-by-one minus. And Iowa was running a bunch of snag concept, which means the back to the flat and then, you know, the X receiver like on a glance. And in Wisconsin's adjustment was with that safety simulated pressure was they were peeling the safety who was running the razor, even though they were playing match three, they weren't playing man. They were peeling that safety if the back flared so that the inside linebacker never was out leveraged to the flat and the inside linebacker would replace his pressure there. And so they were, they were constantly uh, keeping leverage on that back to the flat, even though they ran that pressure. Now we're, was really effective was if that back didn't flare, then the inside linebacker added on and they were getting a five man pressure off of that. I think that when you run that, 
you have to run a technique that's called a blitz hug, which means whoever's covering that back, if he's waiting to see if the back flares slash stays in protects, then he's never going to get there. He has to blitz at the back when the ball is snapped. And if the back flares, then he turns into the edge rusher. And if the back stays in and blocks, then he turns into an inside rusher. But if he waits and tries to key it to see if what that back's doing, then he's never going to do, he's never going to get there. And that's what uh, Wisconsin was doing an excellent job of. That was their number one call really out of nickel was a, a safety boundary pressure where they were, they were uh, keen the back to determine who should take him or who should come. And I thought they did an excellent job of executing that and playing match three behind it. You know, I also saw them run a, a middle simulated pressure with the inside backer. And, and, and when they did that, you know, they were doing a good job of showing like a, a, a quarters look to the boundary and then dropping that safety down in to replace the inside backer. Now, if you have a speed to the boundary and you're going to run this, then and you're going to show a too high look, then then that number two is going to is going to be uncovered because the flat defender is the outside backer to that side, and again, what that means is is you got to mirror that with something when you're not running that pressure. And so when I was running that pressure that week, if I were to run a quarters concept then I would not walk my inside linebacker out on number two. He would expand on a snap. He would stay in. You know, on defense, so much or so many defenses are based off of a two-shell look. So, you know, everything is a two-shell look, two-shell look. And then then there's a rotation from the two-shell look. And then, you know, the linebackers have to show that they're removed in the two-shell to a speed two, and then they walk in, right? Well, when you run the three, four and you run a lot of simulated pressures because of the way simulated pressures look, we can do the opposite. We can show a single high look and, and get to a two shell and vice versa. And so Wisconsin was doing a great job of running this pressure and they were showing a two shell. They were showing number two uncovered, but then if they were to run that quarters coverage, then, then they, then they showed him uncovered too with the inside linebacker. Coach, you know, I always like to ask of, of the practical things. How do we train this in practice? How do we create these situations where guys get enough repetitions to work it? We can't always rely on those calls in teams, so we have to set it up in, in simulated situations in group and individual, et cetera. So looking at the, the hug blitz, there's some detail to that. There's some recognition to it, decision-making, et cetera. How do you like to get those repetitions with the players involved? Well, anytime that you're running simulated pressures or, or man peels and flares and or, or just underneath drops, you know, whether it was cover three and you were just working your hook defenders and your curl flat defenders or if it was quarters and you were just working your quarter hook and your, and your quarter flat defenders. I have a segment in practice that I call inside skelly. And so inside skelly you can take the the deep defenders out of it okay mm-hmm. so all the deep defenders are, are are out of the skelly and 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 the and the wide outs are not involved just the slot receivers the tight ends and the backs and you can work all different types of combinations 
with just those guys. Well, within that inside skelly, I like to run the blitz hug technique too with the peel player. And so you can get flare exchange. You can get back steps up and turn into two edge rushers. You can get a zone drop and, and you work a, the snag concept and, and, you, and you can work, you know, a mesh concept and you can work, a, you know, just delivering two in quarters away from three. And you, you, you're so much, so many more reps that you can get in the inside skelly for these particular type of techniques that you couldn't get if you were running a full skelly and or if you were just running a blitz and or protection because this is different than just a blitz and protection because we're talking about pass coverage techniques changing on the run. And so one way to execute these techniques is I like to run an inside skelly with just the inside part of the coverage slash the blitz responsibilities with the peelers. With uh, that period there, when you're working that, what do you have your corners do? Are those guys working one-on-ones? What do you like to use them for? So I usually take the inside skelly out of individual. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if it was a, you know, a 20-minute individual day, we may run 10 minutes of an inside skelly out of that 20-minute individual. So the corners and the safeties that aren't involved in that are still an individual. Coach, the next thing I had on my list for our nickel stuff was cover one. Wisconsin was also running some cover one, just straight over cover one, which is a great change up if you're going to run a ton of cover three because now you're lining up in the same look. And instead of those holes being open in cover three, you got tight matchups on that. And they did a good job of defending inside zone out of cover one. Now, Iowa's was under center in cover one. And so when you're under center, that allows inside linebackers to, to, to play downhill, to really, really – attack and, and single gap and, and, and to attack the, attack the offense because there's no threat of a cue pool, right? There's no threat of a quarterback on a run. And it's easy for an end to squeeze and stay square and play zone cutback slash boot because of the time to recovery that he has for a boot. And so Iowa was under center on an inside zone, and, and those inside linebackers at Wisconsin were downhill attacking the gap and, and penetrating. Now, if you were to get in the gun and you were to run zone read, those techniques have to change now because now there's a threat of the quarterback pull in the zone read in an end. It's, it's very difficult for an end, especially in an over front to squeeze the hip, stay square and to play, you know, the, the dive cutback and the quarterback you're going to get some yards one way or the other on that. And so now you either game it, you know, you might have to run, you know, like a, a chase and a, uh, and a replace game with the three technique in the end, or now you're going to have to, you know, play some fallback technique with your inside linebackers and your safeties. And so you can't be as downhill. Obviously the reason that Iowa gets under center is because now there's, a, a greater threat of play action pass and boot, but inside zone is less effective in man free under center because it allows the defense to get downhill and to penetrate and attack. And Wisconsin was doing a good job of that. Now Wisconsin was also running along with the cover one, you know, which, which is a one rat, which is two whole players. Like I talk about, you know, and I've talked about in the past is where the safety spins can be different. 
well, Wisconsin was running some some one S, which means the safety's coming down away from the tight end. And that's a great disguise if you're going to show a too high look and come down to it because the tight end versus three by one. I mean, the inside linebacker versus three by one is over the tight end. And they were running some one S and some one Y, which I thought was good. Now, heading into third down, they had a great call on third and extra long in which they lined up in an, uh, an odd front, two fives and a zero. Um, they showed an overload with their inside linebackers um, to the boundary. And they dropped into a eight-man drop. And the safety to the field on three-by-one showed that he was in man on number three and then sloughed off and played the hook zone. The nickel, who showed that he was man on number two, he became a buzz player underneath number one. And they ran a game away from the side. No, they ran the game to the side of the inside linebacker pressure look which was to the boundary but because of that they had a one-on-one to the field the five technique to the field so the nose and the end to the boundary ran a twist game and and the outside linebacker of the field got a one-on-one because of the look that Wisconsin gave Iowa and that guy ended up getting pressure in a three-man rush because he had a one-on-one on that tackle anytime you know you you go to a an eight-man drop and this was a cover three eight-man drop. So it was two corners bailing and a, and a middle of the field player. Anytime that you go to an eight-man drop cover three, somebody has to cover the three over, right? And, and I've talked about that. Is anytime you're in a cover three, you can't let number three go on over at uncovered. Well, the inside linebackers in an eight-man drop, they have an extra dropper in there. So you want to make sure that you don't waste a guy. And so what I would coach is depending on where the back is in three by one, determine who the three over player was. For example, if it was three by one minus, then the Mike backer, which is the inside backer to the, to, to the trip side, he was the three over player. And that allowed us to outnumber the boundary for any curl flat scheme, because you get an outside backer to the flat and then you would get an inside backer to the curl. So you would you would outnumber you could out you could outnumber the boundary, and then if you got a three by one plus or some people call it a four by one, all right now for any stick or or a snag concept over there now I want to keep that inside linebacker low and in the hook, and now I would take the the boundary inside backer and he would play the three over, so it's important that when you go to a cover three eight man drop that you have coaching points like that, that that continue to allow you to outnumber the offense based on the formation that they line up in. I also saw them on third down. They ran a middle pressure and they ran three cloud with it. This is a simulated pressure that we talked about with Kentucky. Mm-hmm. We put it in when I was at Kentucky and I think it's very effective and it's, it's great on third down. And the first time that Wisconsin ran it, the corner – didn't get the cloud check and, and they got beat on an out route. And you could see the safety, you know, was, was upset with him. And um, the second time they ran it, they executed to a T. So it's, you know, you can, you can show single high here and, and give the illusion that you're in single high defense and, and, and still run a, a, a pressure, but yet play clouded coverage. And um, I thought they did an excellent job of executing that. Now, 
any three cloud simulated pressure is not really good um, on uh, rundowns because your run fit isn't exactly clean, but it's great on pass downs. Another thing that I saw them do on third down is is they changed who in, in, in a match three, they changed who the three over player was. So they lined up like they were in a, a, a mini slash stubby cloud look. And the inside linebacker played the back and the flat. And the safety that was showing that he was clouded on number two, he slid in and played three over. And uh, I used to run that and call it a key call, which is that we would key it. So if the back stayed in and blocked, then the safety would take three over. But if the back flared, then the safety would play curl flat and the linebacker would take three over. And Wisconsin did a great job of disguising that, showing cloud, and then and then rolling into three and, and having that deep player on the over. It's also good to do it that way if that number three running that over is, is really fast and athletic. You know, you, you want to put your safety on that matchup instead of your linebacker. Coach, looking at third down and third down practice, something we haven't talked about in, in all the episodes we've done, what's your preference in how that gets practiced during the week? I know some coaches will practice it every day. Some work simulated drives every day. Some put it in a separate period. What's been the approach for you? I like to work a section of third down on Monday because your third down package is usually something unique for the week. Uh, it's a different look or if it's a different call. And so it needs to be practiced uh, more often than your first and second down. So I, I originally like to practice it on Monday and, and, and explain it to the kids, whether it's even just a walkthrough, obviously, Mondays are light practices, and some people practice on Sundays, so it would be during a Sunday practice. But then uh, later in the week, you have just a third down day. And so the introduction is early in the week, and then there's a practice where you're going to have third down be the only part of practice or be the majority of part of practice. Uh, you know, first and second down will get covered, you know, maybe on a on a Tuesday, Wednesday, and then third da- uh, uh, Thursday practice will be exclusively a third down practice. And um, it won't be the first time they saw it, though, because of the introduction that you did it on Monday. And, you know, the way that you, you set up a, a practice during the week, in my opinion, is, you know, similar to even a training camp or a spring ball practice, it's just against scouts and the fact that you're going to have an inside run period, you're going to have a seven-on-seven period, and you're going to have a team period. Well, on third down days, instead of having that inside run period, we have a, a protections period where we just run our third down pressures against all the different protections and attack them that way. Makes sense. I, I like the different variations you have in, in practice that you've covered and uh, this has been a fun series so far. I certainly look forward to the the defense that you pick out for next week because uh, it's been been great to see these and then start to watch some of those things that you've talked about in the in the weeks following. Well, I appreciate it, Keith. It's been a lot of fun. Wisconsin is a fun defense to watch. They they play hard. They know what they're doing. Great schemes, great techniques, and uh, this was a fun week for sure. Coach, I've been meaning to do this. I know that 
you have another podcast that you do that's focused on recruiting. Tell us about your other podcast and where we can find that. I do a podcast called Home Visit, and it's a podcast that covers the hot topics in college football. It's not necessarily an X's and O's podcast, even though we do get into some of that. It's a, a podcast where we pick spreads in games, where we talk about games, we talk about different things within college football, whether it's new rules, whether it's coaching changes, whether it's different types of NLI opportunities that people are under. It's really a, a, a whole focus um, podcast about college football, and it's a lot of fun. And, and what's the name of that one? Where, where can we find that? What platforms are you guys on? We're on uh, Spotify and Apple Podcasts, and it's called Home Visit. Well, Coach, uh, we look forward to having you back next week, and we'll get after and talk some more defense. Great. Thank you. Appreciate having me.